Are you ready to turn your investments into retirement income? Listen in as Jeremy Kyle and his guests reveal ways you can make smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions to achieve your ideal retirement. You will learn more about your money so you can feel better about your money and make better money decisions. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into a consistent income. Today, I'm joined by my producer, Eric Johnson. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm great, Jeremy. How are you? Doing all right. I just read this article yesterday, and we are moving it up the production line. We got to talk about this article. It's so um, interesting to read, and so I'm excited. That's why I'm excited uh, today. Well, to tell you how excited I am, it's kind of a downer, uh, which is, it's uh, it, well, it's a research article. It was published in 2018, so it's three, four years old. And it's interesting, the name of the article is, Will the Financial Fragility of Retirees Increase? You can tell it's a, uh, it's more of an academic article with, uh, with words like fragility. But basically they're saying, are things going to get worse for retirees? And of course, as a good academic article, they don't quite say a yes or no, but we're gonna go through this because that's maybe a thought is, is retirement, is it gonna be better or worse than maybe what our parents had? And so let's, let's figure that out. And if maybe it might be looking worse, let's find some ways to, to make sure that retirement is better for everybody. Yeah. And this, I mean, what, what kind of strikes me right off the bat is that this was written before COVID, right? So this is written before we had any idea of a pandemic and, and the market going down in 2020, like it did, and then coming back roaring like it did and just the ups and downs and craziness. So I know that there's going to be a lot of parallels that we can draw. I, I imagine so. And it's interesting. We talk a lot about success stories. Here's the things to do to get uh, things right. But it's not always that way. It's not always a success in retirement. We think that part of success is preparing for failure. I like to actually say plan for success and prepare for failure. That's like the two things you need to do in general, but with retirement planning as well. So here we're going to talk about kind of the failures that are out there and hopefully help people some avoid some of those or maybe at least be aware of what the risks are and find ways to combat what those risks are. And I'll say too, I said it's an academic paper. It's based on research from the Social Security Administration. It's based on research from some other folks, uh, but the person that put it together is with the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College. So this is like high powered stuff with a lot of data. I got a feeling Social Security has a lot of data about retirement. <laughs> and so, yeah, this this is good stuff. This isn't some theory, it is, is based on real data with true academic peer reviewed, if you've ever heard that term before. it's. This is, um, this is telling stuff. Okay, let's dive into this. So, I'm really interested now. You got it. So yeah, I got you going. So uh, here's the situation. What they found, 80% of spending in retirement is in five basic areas. So that's kind of like just the lay of the land. Those are housing, healthcare, food, clothing, transportation. And actually, I heard about this, listened to a podcast, and I thought, well, clearly housing and healthcare must be the two highest ones out of those. Uh, I'm thinking food maybe isn't terribly too much. And I'm also thinking of like what my grandparents get for clothing and also what I do. Like I'm in my early forties, I spend a lot less on clothing now than I did 20 years ago on there. But that's, that was the case. Housing and healthcare are those two. So if, if 80% is on those five basic areas, I want to just work on two of them, housing and healthcare, because that's roughly half, half of your spending is in those two areas, housing and healthcare. And there's a lot to be learned from that where it's your housing costs, I think a lot of times you can control that. Your healthcare costs, maybe you can't control it as much, but there are things that you can control. 
And so knowing that heading into retirement, your housing decisions, your health insurance decisions, maybe even your own decisions on how you take care of your health are going to be a big factor on how your retirement plays out. Yeah, I can't imagine that those two wouldn't be the bulk of that, you know, that, that, that statistic by far. Yeah, it was interesting. They also, which is great, they, they showed what happens if you're below 75, what happens if you're above 75, and housing stayed exactly the same. The cost of your housing or how much people were spending on housing stayed roughly the same. Uh, so that just shows housing is a big expense that lasts forever, uh, basically. But then the the cost of healthcare, the amount of money that people put towards healthcare went from 16% of your overall spending to 20%, which, okay, four percentage points, that's not too big of a deal, right? Four percentage points. But it's four percentage points on the 16% denominator, teaching my kids math. Denominator is the, is the operating word there, which means overall, your healthcare expenses went up 25% uh, relative to everything else once you reach 75. And I don't think that's anything new. Everyone kind of expects healthcare costs to, to go up the older you are. You know, that's, that's not new at all. But what I think is interesting is that a lot of our healthcare decisions, especially around health insurance, is made when you're 65 and your healthcare is not as expensive or not as big of a share of your spending. And you need to make decisions when you're 65 that are going to affect you when you're 75, when you're 85, when you're 95. So that's some, that's some good stuff to keep in mind right there. I'll, I'll say another thing too. They went through all these housing, healthcare, food, clothing, transportation, entertainment, gifts, other. They didn't talk about taxes, which is interesting to me. Yeah, the taxes I find is some of the biggest expenditures. When I go through and I plan out uh, for people, here's what your retirement looks like. And perhaps you're spending 100,000 a year. Let's just go with round numbers. Perhaps you live... 30 years, that's $3 million of spending. And then we look at it and say, oh, and chances are your taxes are maybe 450 grand of that, 600 grand of that, right? It, your, your taxes are easily 15, 20, 25% of your overall spending. And so it's interesting to me, uh, I'll, maybe I'll write into these folks of, hey, you might've forgot one, like taxes are probably about as a similar amount. The numbers we see are 15, 20, 25%. Let's just call it 20% as an average for taxes and retirement, just from what we've seen anecdotally. That's that's right up there, right up there with healthcare, not as quick as housing, but I would be willing to bet those three combined, housing, healthcare, and taxes, get you past uh, 60, 70% uh, percent of your, your spending. So you gotta remember taxes. We talk about taxes a lot, trying to help reduce your lifetime taxes. We won't talk about that today, but I just found that interesting uh, that they forgot about taxes. And I think, it's because a lot of retirees, we meet a lot of retirees and they say, here's my budget. And we say, wonderful, how much are you gonna have on, on taxes? And they, they forgot that. And it, it makes sense because your paycheck already has your taxes taken out. In retirement, your paycheck probably doesn't have your taxes taken out of it. Or even if it does, it's still a big expense. You gotta account for that because it's coming out of your social security, coming out of your investments. So you can't ignore taxes. I'm gonna let these folks know um, Take a look at taxes, and I think that makes it the big three, housing, healthcare, and taxes. There you go. If you want to make sure you have a good retirement, focus on how do you keep those three expenses in check. Yeah. Come on, Boston College. <laughs> wow. I know, right? Yeah. I think, are they the Terriers? I think they are the Terriers. We'll find out. Maybe that's Boston University. Really? Oh, okay. we'll find out. We'll find out. My apologies to Boston College or Boston University, uh, whichever one of the Terriers. Yep. Good. Well, that's, right. that's the lay of the land. 
And then they accurately talk about what are the risks? Because things aren't rosy in retirement all the time. And they highlight two big shocks. And it's interesting that they call it a shock because it's not really unexpected. And when they say a shock, like a financial shock to the system, where things are going around normal, everything's hunky-dory, and all of a sudden, boom, a huge expense comes in. Something big happens that's a shock to the normal way of being. And those are those are risks. It's things just get thrown up in the air on how your expenses look. And it's healthcare costs and widowhood. Yes, those are shocks. Yes, those will negatively affect the way that your investments are looking and if you have enough money to live on in retirement. But I'm just gonna say those probably are not unexpected. Everyone expects healthcare costs to go up. Just about everyone feels that at some point in time, there could be some health emergency, some health scare that all of a sudden ratchets up the cost of your, your healthcare. So it's not a shock as in, I can't believe it happened. It is a shock as in, oh my goodness, the, the budget changed quickly. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. But the other one, widowhood, that's not a shock either. Most people reach retirement as a married couple. Most people leave retirement not as a married couple because the first person dies and somebody becomes widowed. And just statistically still, it's the females, it's the wife that's usually the widow because she's usually a couple years younger than the husband. Women usually live a couple years longer than, than men. And this is a, a financial shock but it's not a surprise. And we think, again, if you are making decisions when you're 62 and 65, uh, you need to make a lot of these decisions that are going to be affecting the 85-year-old couple, the 90-year-old uh, widow. And what's interesting, too, about this is the, the studies show that the federal poverty limit, there's all these different uh, ways to look at to see if you're poor or not. They basically said if you are a married couple, but then you become widowed, you need about 79% of your prior income to have the same standard of living. So a lot of people think, oh, the first person dies and, and expenses go down. Yes, some of them do, but they don't drop in half. Your house still costs the same. Your required minimum distributions are the same, which means your taxes are the same or probably even higher uh, on there. And yes, some things maybe go down. Maybe um, there's slightly less heat going on in the house. Maybe there's slightly less driving. Maybe there's less food that's being bought. But it's not a cut in half. It's a it's a drop by about, let's just call it 80%. There was another study that said 75%. But let's just go with the 80% on there. So I want people to do two things. You need to prepare for this drop. That there's likely a 20% drop in spending. And we want to see how is your income coming in going to help out with that. Because the study also showed that when the first person dies, the widow was left with about 62% of the social security that they had before. So it's another way to think of it is, yes, you went from two people down to one, most likely your, your needs dropped by about 20%, and yet your social security income dropped by almost 40%. And for people with a pension, the typical person with a pension accepts that standard uh, situation where it's a 50% survivorship. Whatever you have today in the pension, it drops by 50%. And that's just kind of a natural way to go because that's, for some reason, the way the laws are written with uh, pensions, that that's kind of the natural uh, default. And you have just the, the thoughts of, well, there's one of us instead of two, so we just need half as much money. And so go with the math. The math shows what thousands, probably millions of people have done and that 
the person becomes widowed, you probably need about 20% less of income, and yet you made decisions when you're 62, 65, that the Social Security would drop by 40% almost, the pension would drop by 50% on average. And I just wanna encourage people when you're facing those decisions, do what you can to try to match, try to at least get to where it's pretty similar. And so uh, with that 75%, 80%, that's the need for the widow. And hearing that right now, you might think, great, Jeremy just told me to take the 75% survivorship on my pension. And I can, I can go along a little bit with that, except that you don't get a survivorship option with Social Security. You know, Social Security, the lowest one, is going to drop, uh, drop off. So take a look and see how much is your Social Security going to drop. Uh, we just met with a couple the other day, and they had worked similar jobs, similar income for their entire life. They're both going to get about $2,000 in Social Security, and that's wonderful. That's good dollars. That's good money coming in, 4000 bucks a month. And then we pointed out, way to go. As soon as the first person dies, your income drops exactly in half. Because if you're both getting $2,000 and the first person dies, the lowest one is the same $2,000. They're gonna have a drop in half of Social Security. So before you make that pension decision, before you think I just told you to take the 75% survivorship, because that matches perfectly with how your spending might drop, go take a look at what your Social Security is gonna drop and try to account for that. Make sure that you account for that in there. That's that's our, our thoughts on Social Security and pension, how you prepare for widowhood. Yeah. So, so in, in that in that scenario, what are you suggesting? And I mean, still using that 75% as kind of a, a guideline, are you saying that they should look at their $4,000 Social Security and only spend 3000 of it so that 1000 is always banked, if you will? So when it does drop in half, you've got some extra that, that's there? There you go. That's, that's a great way to approach it. I think uh, another way, this is the way that we typically suggest. And again, everyone's Social Security is so uh, exact to them. But if we had to come up with general rules, and let's just go with this example, you got a husband and wife, $2,000 a piece, if they both take it exactly right now. If one of them were to wait about four years, that $2,000 would grow by about 30% to become 2,600. If the other one were actually to take it about four or five years early, that $2,000 would drop by 30% to become 1,400. one person takes it a few years early, the other person takes it a few years later, it's kind of like you average out to the same time, right? I mean, that makes sense. A little bit early, a little bit later, kind of averages out to the same time. And the 1400 that the person uh, that took it early was getting, and the 2600 that the person that waited uh, on, yet it together, that's the same $4,000. So if one person takes it a little bit early, one person takes it a little bit later, you ought to have basically the same social security amount when you're both alive. But what happens when the first person dies? Absolutely, I see where you're going with this. Yeah, I like it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you see our train of thought. That 2,600 plus 1,400 becomes 2,600 to the to the widow. And so you, you look at it and say, you can take your social security both today and get 4,000 bucks a month. Or you can do a little bit earlier and a little bit later, get the same $4,000 when you're both on that and yet the widow gets 30% more. And let's see here real quick, 2,600 and to 4,000 isn't quite the 75%, it's a little bit shy of 70%, but that's way better than half. Taking a 32% drop, I think it is, uh, is a much better deal than taking a 50% drop. And so it's decisions that you're making when you're 60 to 65 years old that are gonna affect the widow when they're 85 years plus and keeping 
that widow in mind, part of our job sometimes is kind of advocating for the you 20 years from now. And that might be the you as a couple 20 years from now, that might be the widow 20 years from now. And so that's a, a big value of what an advisor should be bringing to you is advocate for, here's what we've seen before, here's what the research suggests. Let's make sure your decisions today when you're younger are gonna be helpful uh, for when you're older as well. It's Jeremy Kyle here, and I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our 5-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com, use the number or spell it out, you'll get there either way. 5stepretirementplan.com. Thanks for listening, and now for the rest of the show. Yeah, and so here's the thing. I love, I, I would never, ever would have thought of that. I never would have thought of that strategy that you just you, you put forward. And here's the thing is if if they're already planning on waiting the, those four years to both take it at the same time, then obviously they probably don't necessarily need that income. So if they were to start it four, or four years earlier, they could do a couple things, right? Number one, that income could go into investing, which would be great. Or since you're still kind of young, you can use that extra income to do things that you've wanted to do and spend time traveling or whatever and get the benefit of that that extra money early because it, it doesn't really affect your long term. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and I think what you said right there, you never would have thought of it. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with you're one individual that's probably going to face one retirement. Like you probably might just have one retirement in your life. And yet we're retirement focused planners. We've seen hundreds of retirements. So we understand what the range of possibilities are. We understand what the, the different situations might be. And we started helping people with retirement 20 years ago almost. So we see people that retired 20 years ago and understand here's what their life looks like now. And so we can help apply that to the people that are retiring today. So I'm gonna go back to healthcare real quick. And it's just related to, yes, the healthcare costs are likely gonna go up. I think just about everyone uh, believes that and they're reaching 65 and they're making this decision about, do I buy a Medicare supplement or do we go with an Advantage a plan? And we just had on a series about Medicare and it's definitely worthwhile to take an unbiased approach to our supplements a better deal for you, our Advantage plans a better deal for you, and to maybe approach it to see how does it work personally. But I'm, I'm still gonna say, I'm a bit biased towards taking the Medicare supplements. And the reason being is that it's this whole healthcare shock situation. When you're 65 and you're making that decision about should you take an Advantage plan or a supplement plan, you're typically just looking at how does this affect me this year? And I want people to look at how does this affect you 15 years from now, 25 years from now? And pretty typically, it's a lot harder to go from Advantage to supplement. And supplement, as you would have learned from this series, is generally, a little bit higher amount of coverage because it gives you the ability to see more specialists and see basically any doctor that accepts Medicare versus the Advantage, which has some more limited networks. It's really easy when you're 65 to say, I'm gonna pick one because of how my health is today or what the pricing is today. And we just want people to very much consider that if you expect your healthcare costs to go up in the future, if you expect your own health to go down in the future, take that into account. And because of that, I'm a bit biased towards supplement. 
I, I very much think people ought to make the decision on their own. But I like to point out, here's my uh, viewpoint on it. Here's why I have my viewpoint on it. And then let them take that in consideration as well. Yep, no, that's perfect. Good. All right. Well, we've talked about the biggest spending that's out there, housing, healthcare, and taxes. We've talked about what the big risks are, which is your healthcare uh, shocks, becoming widowed, which is a financial shock on there. We got to figure out as well, too, are the risks actually getting bigger for people facing retirement compared to uh, years past? And what are ways to maybe combat that? If the risks are going higher, what can we do to make your own personal risk not nearly as high? And I think the, the science is clear that yes, the risks are getting bigger. And there's really two main reasons that they point out in the paper. Number one, years ago, more people had more pensions. Now people have less pensions and the pensions are less uh, of a dollar amount. We just heard that Harley Davidson is actually, they're stopping their pension. They are making sure that it's, it's you're vested with whatever you have right now but at the end of 2022, you can't earn any more working credits for it. So there's more and more pensions that are uh, just kind of basically shutting off. The term is freezing. They're freezing their pension. Uh, we've seen that from plenty of other companies on there. So less companies that even have a pension, the ones that do are, are looking at freezing their pensions. And so, yes, there's more reliance on your own savings, on your own investments, because there's less reliance on pensions. And that definitely equals a higher risk. There's also a big focus, the word income was used so much in this paper. And I think that's very appropriate. They didn't talk so much about investments, they talked about income. I think that's so appropriate because people when they're working, they like to keep track of their assets, their investments, but they also spend their income, their salary that's coming in. And when it hits retirement, people feel a lot more comfortable spending their income than actually taking money and cashing in some of their interests. I'm sorry, some of their investments. Interest rates are down now compared to years ago, which means your income is down, which just makes things worse. And so, yes, I have to agree that the risks are getting bigger, that there's less pensions, there's less income because interest is down. That means the risk is higher. And they come up with some great ways to uh, try to combat some of that. Typically, the ways that they're suggested are you work longer. That should help you in retirement. You annuitize, which means you take some of your uh, assets, you take some of your investments and turn it into a guaranteed uh, payout that comes out to you for the rest of your life. You take on a reverse mortgage or you downsize. Those are the four things. Those are the four most effective ways to help out uh, your retirement income. And how many retirees want to do any of those? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's individualized, but it doesn't sound great, right? Yeah. And so it, it's interesting that... Um, there are risks out there. We do know uh, what all the studies show are the best ways to, to go about that. And yet people aren't uh, necessarily doing that. And so knowing that kind of colors a little bit of our uh, advice where people don't want to take their investments. They don't want to take a hundred grand and hand it over to an insurance company and turn it into uh, some level of annuity. And yet people are pretty open to let's wait on social security. And that's kind of the same thing, right? If you spend down your money a little bit when you're earlier in retirement, which allows your social security to grow a, a little bit more, that's a great trade-off. And what's interesting about that, and sometimes when we uh, go through and people agree with us and say, yep, we'll do that. We'll spend down a little bit of our investments now that'll allow our social security to grow. 
and we check in with them and they're a bit afraid to actually spin down some of their investments later on. And they say, well, what if we need that? They actually feel like they have less income coming in because when you take money out of your savings account, it doesn't feel like income. It feels like you're taking money out of your investments because that's what you're, you're doing. And my encouragement to them, it is somewhat of an emotional hur hurdle, but my encouragement to them is if you are waiting on social security for three years or four years, it is a-okay to take some of your money out, some money extra than beyond what you spend it, uh, than you plan to spend for that three or four years because that's a temporary situation. And you might feel like you don't have as much income right now because you didn't turn on social security for those next three or four years, but you're gonna feel like you have more income for the rest of your retirement. And that might be 15 or 20 or 25 years. So again, that's us kind of advocating for the, the couple 20 years from now one person, especially if they have the higher social security, waiting on it those three or four years, that definitely uh, helps out the widow. And so that's one reason beyond the math. The math usually suggests, like we said earlier, that maybe somebody takes social security early, the other person takes social security later on. The math usually suggests that you should spend down a little bit of your savings and investments now to allow your social security to grow in the future. Beyond the math is just the emotional part of it. Hey, you've got a long retirement, and if we can get over the emotional hurdle of spending down a little bit of your money for three or four years, that's gonna give you the emotional benefit of having a higher social security for 15, 20, 30 years, whatever that might be. The other parts, especially working longer, that's an interesting one, because I, I do meet some people and they're talking about, I'm gonna work longer and that will help my retirement. And yet there's so many other studies that suggest people retire before they planned on actually retiring. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes it's their own health situation. Sometimes it's the health situation of their parents or a spouse or whomever. And so there's these different things out there. I'd say with working longer, if you can do it, go for it. Annuitize, there might just be a emotional hurdle to say I'm not willing to take 100 grand out of my investments to turn it into a specific percentage of money that will help me out later on. My suggestion there is to just say maybe you do that with Social Security. Maybe you feel more comfortable spending down some of your money so that you can let your social security grow. And then when it comes to downsizing the reverse mortgage, that's a tough one. Know what's out there. Know what's out there that yes, you can downsize, you can live in a smaller house. What I found actually, when people say they downsize, they usually go to a smaller house that's nicer and they spend the same amount of money on it. So they're not actually changing their, their expenditures at all. That's, that's okay. You probably do need a smaller house and actually, if you are in that situation and you're not planning on downsizing, or maybe you do take your current house and go buy a smaller, nicer, just as expensive house, start reading more and thinking about the reverse mortgage. Uh, that's a great option. And I think it's a great option, especially for that widow. If that widow is facing Social Security that dropped by 40%, facing pension that dropped by 50%, and they need some money, that's a great place to look. And we've got a, a link to the reverse mortgage. It's actually one of our more popular podcasts is when we talked about the reverse mortgage. So we'll link to that as well too. Yeah, and can I just jump in there, Jeremy, just for a second? I, I, I gotta say that with the reverse mortgage, one thing that I think that a, a lot of people have concerns about is that I, you know, I wanna leave something to my children. I wanna leave this house to my children. I, you know, this, is, this is something that I wanna leave them. From personal experience, I have uh, my in-laws they did a reverse mortgage and I helped them through that process. Just, just explored. I didn't do it cause I don't have th those things, those capabilities, but we did find a very reputable place that they were able to do that. 
and the stress that it took off the entire family because of their financial situation. And now they're doing great. Their biggest concern was, well, I want to leave this house to you guys. Look, we love you. We love that house. However, none of us wanted to live in it. None of us wanted to move to where they were. And it was just something that they felt like they had to hang on to as like a, you know, a gift to us. No, the the biggest gift to us was the fact that we know that they are absolutely secure now. They've got all the money that they need in retirement. They, they put so much into that house. Uh, Now it's time for the house to give back to them. Right. And and so I like what you said on that house is given back to them. Absolutely. Oh, that's good. And it's interesting too, because uh, you're right. I think a lot of people, as they get older, they start thinking about this house and they want to leave something to the kids and you leave the house to the kids and not a lot of the kids actually want to move in there, or at least I'm leaving the value of the house and the kids can sell it and spend it. And I'm hoping you've raised your kids well enough. And I think most kids I run into, the kids would rather mom have enough money for her medicine than to have the cash after mom's gone. Right. Uh, that's, that's what I see most time. And if I don't see it, uh, it should be that way. Right? Yeah. And we, we'd rather, we'd rather have you have the money to travel and see the grandkids and spend time with family and, and all those things that you want to be able to do in retirement. But then if you're strapped for money, you can't do no, no, no. We, we want you to have fun in your retirement. You've earned this. So yeah, absolutely. That's good. Well, let me summarize this here quick and, and finish up the three biggest costs to your retirement are going to be housing, healthcare, and taxes. When you're getting into retirement, focus on what you can do to control those three costs of housing, healthcare, and taxes. Two of the biggest shocks that hit your financial budget in retirement uh, aren't a surprise. They might be a financial shock. They're not a surprise. It's that healthcare costs go up. It's that if you're married, somebody will die first. Someone will become a widow. And there are many effective ways to help combat some of these Uh, What they suggested is working longer, taking some of your investments and turning it into an annuitized income, reverse mortgage, downsizing. I'll tell you what's interesting is that none of those are things that people naturally want to do, and yet those look to be uh, statistically what the solutions are. And so here you go. We're going to link to the article. Reach out to us with any questions. The website is retirement-reveal.com. Let us know your thoughts. Happy to walk you through anything in there. But I think uh, what's going to happen is a lot more people are going to be armed with what they need to know about, not just next month when they retire, but what the next 20, 30 years might be looking at for retirement. Great stuff today, Jeremy. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for joining me on the show. It's been, been fun. And thank you for listening to the Retirement Revealed podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you will feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit retirement-revealed.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is a part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.